So let me, let me jump into this. Last week we kicked off this God the Bounty Hunter series and we're making some comparisons between like one of my favorite shows and, uh, and God. And, and here's what I mean by that. And you can, if you take this too far, it kind of falls apart. But just like a bounty hunter's out there tracking people down and hunting them, you know, because they're running away from, you know, the, the crimes and stuff like that. Kind of like that, God is out there running after us, kind of pursuing us, trying to get a hold of us, but not for the reasons a lot of us kind of assume that God's chasing us down because he wants to punish us or lock us up or kind of give us what we have coming to us. It's actually the opposite of that, why God's chasing us. And Jesus said it over and over, and he gets misquoted a lot, but if you actually read what he had to say, he, he actually said that he didn't come to judge us, to pass judgment. He didn't come to condemn us. And, and by the way, I don't need a lot more people in my life doing that. I, I have that. I have my quota of finger pointers in my life. Um, well, Jesus says that he came to set us free from that. Free from judgment and free from condemnation and free from walking, away, walking around carrying guilt all the time because it's a horrible way to live, always running from your past. And Jesus said, I came to save you from a life like that. I came to, to give you the life that you were meant to live, you wanted to live, why I created you, and it's still possible to have that life. So because he loves us so much, he's willing to, to do and use whatever it takes to get our attention so we'll pay attention to him and have a conversation with him. And I'm not, I'm not saying God causes everything in your life. I'm not one of those guys. You know, I stub my toe. What's God teaching me? I, I don't know. Be less clumsy. Watch where you're going. There, all right? So there's a message from God from you. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that God doesn't, may not cause everything in our life, but God's willing to use everything in our life. And not against us, but actually for our good. And we talked about this last week, and I know it sounds kind of spiritual and spooky it's halloween so we can go with this but anyway here it is is that a lot of us have sensed god trying to teach us stuff we felt god in our life you know whether we believe him or not we felt something in our life and it's like something saying will you listen to me will you pay attention and sometimes in the middle of what we're going through we hear god kind of say to us now will you listen to me because i want to tell you something so in this series we're going to be looking at that what does it look like when God comes looking for you? All right. And what does it, what does it mean when somebody kind of pays attention to God? And we're following the life of this guy named Saul, a guy in the Bible. Later, he changes his name to Paul. He writes a big chunk of the Bible all about Jesus. But before he became a follower of Jesus, he hated Jesus and anybody having to do with Jesus. And he lived a big chunk of his life hating and hunting down anybody that had to do with Jesus because he wanted to wipe him off the planet. So much so that later he writes a letter to his younger friend, Timothy, and he talks about that part of his life when he just was, you know, kind of driven by hate. He says, Timothy, I was the worst person ever. I'm the worst sinner that ever walked on the planet. But the reason I'm telling my story is that maybe someday somebody will read my story and, and think, if, if God can forgive someone like Paul, if, if, if there's hope for Paul and what he did, maybe there's hope for me. Because I've done some stuff. Maybe I haven't murdered anybody. You know, maybe I have, but whatever, you know, is that maybe if, if Paul can change, then maybe, maybe there's hope for me. But honestly, if you were here last week, we talked about Paul's life. It had to get really bad before he paid attention to God. And that's my story. It's, it's a lot of our stories in here. Paul had to get knocked flat, lose everything in his life before he finally kind of looked up and said, what do you want, Jesus? What, what do you want with my life? What are you trying to teach me? And the question we kind of landed on last week is probably where we're going to go every week with this. And the question goes like this. What's it going to take for, for us? What is it going to take for you and me? What else do we have to go through? What else do we have to lose before we kind of stop and consider that God may be trying to tell us something? That he loves us, but beyond that, he loves us, but some stuff needs to change in our life. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. If, um, there's, there's always free Bibles at the door, and I really encourage you to grab one so you can take it home with you, and it's yours to keep. But we're going to pick up in the last verse. It's also going to be in your program here, all right? But let me kind of catch you up if you weren't here last week. Is that Paul, but at this time his name is Saul, but I'm ADD, so I'm going to call him both today. It's the same dude, just so you know, all right? But Saul is on his way to the city called Damascus. 
And he's going up there because he's going to have a bunch of Christians arrested and taken back and then have them, have them executed, all right? And he literally bumps into Jesus on the road, and he doesn't know what to do with that. He goes blind from the experience, and he goes and he sits down, and about three days later, it kind of clicks in his head. I think Jesus really is the Son of God. I really do think he died on a cross for me. I think he's the one that can connect me back to God. And he decides to follow Jesus from that point on in his life. It kind of is a symbol of this new belief system, this new life he wants to live. He gets baptized. And that's where we landed last week. And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. If you have the Flounder's Bible, page 763. Here we go. So, story goes on. Saul spent several days with the disciples. And anytime you see the word disciple in the Bible, that's like Bible talk for follower of Jesus. Okay? So, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So he was there a few days ago going into synagogues. This was his plan, having all the Christians like taken off and executed. Now he's walking into the same synagogues and standing up and going, um, excuse me, um, I was wrong. That whole Jesus thing, and I, he actually is the Son of God. Who knew, all right? And we, we should all go follow him now. Now, that doesn't go over well with the people sitting there in the synagogue. Verse 21, all those who heard him, Saul, were astonished, blown away, and they were asked, and they asked, isn't, he, isn't that the same guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name Jesus, those who follow Jesus? Didn't he like ruin their lives? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Isn't he, that's why he's here in town in the first place? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they, the, the, the Jewish people that wanted to kill him, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. So if he went out at night, they were going to jump him. But his followers, Saul's friends, took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now, I want to jump right into this, all right? I, I, this brings me to my first point today. I have two points. All right, sometimes you walk out here going, does he even have a point? I have two, two points today, all right? There's even fill in the blanks if you think, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, I have points, all right? Um, but to kind of this first one, just kind of take this as a heads up, kind of a warning. And here's what I mean by that. I'm under no illusion that everybody in this room is like, we love Jesus and we believe everything, all right? We're all over the place on what we believe about God. But if you ever decide that I think I might want to follow Jesus, just remember this first point because I don't want you to get ambushed. And here it goes, ready? Not everybody's going to like or believe the changes in your life. Right? And that's just true. Just look at the nodding heads and you're going to see them much more in a minute. Just because you're trying to make changes in your life, even good changes in your life, changes that you think God wants you to make, there will be some people in your life that won't believe you're real. They won't believe it's, it's authentic. They won't trust you. And, and this is going to be a stretch for some of you. There will be people in your life that will always be throwing your past in your face. Can you believe that? And it's hypothetical. I know it never happened to you, right? But they bring, they bring up your past and go, remember that time you did this, right? And, and you're going to get hit from people on both sides of your life. And that's Saul's story. We're going to see today that the, the Christians, right, the, the Jesus people, right, they heard Saul say that now he was a follower of Jesus. And they, they were like, I don't believe you. I don't think it's real. I think you're a fake. They brought up his past. Aren't you the same guy that raised havoc with, down in Jerusalem, did bad things, hurt people? How do we know we can trust you? I, I, I don't believe you. you're really changing. And then the Bible describes the people, that, the guys that Saul used to kind of run with. Um, he, he grew up Jewish, and so all of his friends were these, these Jewish people that, that, that beat up Christians. And they looked at him, and they're like, Dude, you changed. Well, what, what happened to you? You used to hang out with us and talk like us and do the same stuff we, we do, and, and, and now you don't. Why? Maybe they felt like they lost their friend. Maybe, maybe kind of been abandoned. Maybe even felt betrayed. You used to lead our group. Saul, so where'd you go? And they got mad at him. And here's the thing is, all right, part of me wants to say, I, I don't blame them. 
I, I don't blame him for not trusting him. And I know the right thing to do would be to look at Saul and go, way to go, Saul. That's awesome. Jesus can forgive you. Come here, give me a hug. Let's just forget about the past. You know, that's awesome. If, you can do, if somebody really ruins your life and you can hug it out and be okay with them, awesome. All right? I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not even close to that guy. I mean, for most of us, it's not going to be that easy. Right? I mean, the little stuff, okay, but not the big stuff. I'm not saying that's right. That's not, I'm not even saying it's fair. It's just real. There'll be some people in your life and my life who have a problem with what we're trying to do, even though we know God's telling us to do it. Why? Well, I'll give you one reason is that, you know, you're trying to change your life and kind of be a better man or a better woman, whatever, right? But there's some people in your life, they're not finished being mad at you yet. They have several more, they have a lot of more mad left in them, okay, all right? And for good reason, all right? Because in the past, you really messed them up. You hurt them. You, you lied to them. You broke trust with them. And they've heard you say stuff like this before. Let's be honest. How many times have you apologized for this? This is the last time, and this time I mean it, and I will never do that, and I'm a changed man. They've heard it all before, and they're not going to get suckered by you again. Right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And, and I know the arguments. Well, they should. They should forgive me. You're right. There you go. And you shouldn't have done what you did. But we all make mistakes. Right? We, we all... We all are imperfect. And the big stuff, the hard stuff, takes a long time. So if you're trying to make some changes in your life and you've got some people in your life that are really upset with you, I, I think you have two options. All right? The first one goes like this. Prove it. Prove you're a changed man or a changed woman. What does that mean? String two days together where you don't screw up again. And then maybe two days turns into two weeks. Two weeks turns into two months. And maybe after a while, they'll, they'll see... That you're not just talking about it. You actually are a different man or woman. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said it this way. Don't walk around talking about your faith. Talking about what you believe in Jesus. Show people what you believe. Demonstrate it. Prove to them that you're a different man or woman. And beyond that, the people that are mad at you in your life, the only thing I can think is pray for them. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's, it's hard to be mad at somebody when you're praying for them. Because you, you can't make people forgive you. You can't make people believe that you're a different person. You, you can't get people to understand. You can't make them understand what you're going through, right? I used to put a lot of pressure on myself that there was some magic talk I could give or some magic phrase. And people come up to me all the time in the lobby. What should I say to my son that will change his life? I don't know. There is no magic phrase, all right? There, there's none. They have to work out their own stuff with God. And at a certain point, what they do is out of, out of your control. And I don't think God wants any of us walking around with it. Anger and bitterness, even if it's justified anger. So just pray, start praying for them. Pray that God will heal up the broken parts of their heart, especially the parts that you played a part in breaking. So the first thing is just, you've got you to prove that you're a different person. The, the second reason I think that people may not like that you're making changes in your life, and this has happened to me a lot, is logically, if you think that you need to make changes in your life, then I assume that you think I need to make the same changes because I'm doing the same stuff, Right? And then from there, it gets really closely, you know, followed by, that feels real judgmental. You think I'm a bad person because I don't want to change? You think you're better than me because I still do some of that stuff? Hey, here's a hint, okay? I just want to talk to Christians for, for a second. If you're not a Christian, go get some coffee, all right? So I just want to talk to Christians, all right? If you're living your life trying to follow Jesus and make changes in your life, and other people are reading that as arrogant or kind of stuck up, or cocky, or I'm good and you're bad, and I'm right and everybody else is wrong, that's on you. You need to check yourself, Christian. 
Listen to this, okay? And again, just talking to Christians for a second. But this guy named Peter writes it this way, all right? He says, but in your hearts, Christians, set apart Christ as Lord, so you're going to follow Jesus. That's great. Always be prepared to give an answer, an explanation to everyone who what? Ask you. A lot of us don't wait to be asked. We just walk in the room and go, let me, can I just announce what everybody's doing wrong? Can I tell you everybody? That doesn't go, that's a party killer right there. Let me tell you that, all right? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, could you explain, the hope that you have. No place in the Bible that says go and walk around and force your hope on somebody else, the hope that you think they ought to have. No. Always be ready if somebody asks you to say, this is what's going on in my life. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, those who are out there slamming you and you know, jabbing you and things like that, that they may be ashamed of their slander. And that's really important. Give a reason for the hope that you have. Not the hope that they ought to have. What's that mean? It means this. It's like you say things like this. I, I didn't like what was going on in my life. I, I didn't like the person I was becoming. I didn't like what I'm doing to the important people in my life. And I think that what I'm finding in my faith, and what God's trying to teach me, it's a better way. It, it works for me. I'm not going to try to force my decision or my faith on you. All I can say is if you ever want to make some changes in your life, or if you want to check this out, then come and see for yourself. I'm not going to shove Jesus down your throat. You've got to work out your own stuff. See, see not all people are going to agree with your belief system. Not everybody's going to, you know, see the change in your life and say, I want to follow Jesus too. But I'm telling you, it's really hard to argue with, with a changed life, with good behavior because of what Jesus is doing in your life. And again, proof of, an, of, of, your, of your new faith and your trust in God is not, is not done by winning arguments. You cannot argue people into believing in Jesus. You cannot beat people up with Bible verses and, and have any expectation that they're going to go, oh, that sounds good to me, I'm in. Nobody became a Christian because they lost an argument, right? But, but by the way, I, I've only met a few people in my whole life. And I, I don't even know. I can't even remember anybody. I, and I've been all over the world, Afghanistan, Africa, you know, all, all over the place. I've never met anybody who came up to me and said, I have a real problem with that Jesus guy. What do you mean? He's so loving and kind and forgiving and gracious and blah, 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 blah. He's just, you know, if he was meaner, I might get into him. I've never met anybody has a problem with Jesus. Not everybody believes he's the son of God, but nobody dislikes Jesus. I have lost count of the number of people that I've met who have a problem with Christians, who treat them in such a way that have nothing to do with Jesus, right? We know who we are. That's really offensive, so let's move on. Okay, the next verse, all right? So let's get back to the story of Saul. Let's talk about somebody else, all right? So Saul, all right? When he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, so he was in Damascus, now he's going to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, the followers of Jesus, right? But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So Saul heads back to Jerusalem, and here's the thing is, he tries to go to church. As a matter of Jerusalem is the place of the very first church ever, and he shows up one Sunday morning ready to go to church, and he walks in, and the place freaks out. Like, look, it's him. Run, get your kids out of the nursery. Go, right, right? Verse 27. But I made that up. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but Barnabas, so there's this guy in, at the church there, right? Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. These are the guys that are leading the church at that time. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen Jesus, the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So uh, here's my first, if my first point is this, all right? Not everybody's going to like or trust that you really are changed or a changing person. Here's my second point. Just have two, all right? Here's my second point. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Right? Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. What's that mean? 
Well, Barnabas is this, this guy in that church in Jerusalem. And about five chapters before this, we get a drive-by, kind of a, this is who he is. And then we don't hear any more about him until this. But back in Acts chapter 4, there, Luke is the guy who wrote this book. He, he's kind of describing that very first church ever. And here it is. He says, there were no needy persons among them. I mean, everybody was in poverty. But this church took care of one another. And here's what I mean by that. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So in this very first church, just like happens around here every week, all right, is that whenever somebody sold a piece of property or sold their house and made a profit off of it or, or, they, or they closed a business deal or they got paid, they would take some of that, sometimes all of it, sometimes just part of it, and they kind of put it in the offering at church and then say, hey, we trust the leaders of this church to make sure that it goes out and takes care of people. We do that every time with buckets back there, all right? That's what we do, all right? Now, next verse. Joseph... A Levite from Cyprus, Cyprus is this little island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, right? Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this Barnabas guy, his real name's actually Joseph, but everybody at the church gave him a nickname. They, 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 they called him Barnabas. We're not going to call you, we're not going to call you Joseph anymore. We're going to call you Barnabas because that really translates son of encouragement. In other words, this guy, Joseph, had such a reputation for helping people that really needed help, for building people up, for encouraging people. Maybe there'd be somebody there and they're about ready to quit on their marriage or their faith or whatever that is. And, and, and Barnabas was that guy who put his arm around him and said, oh, it's okay. He did that so much, encouraged so many people that eventually it became his identity. He said, well, what's that have to do with Saul? Or what's that have to do with us? Everything. Saul was the new guy. Have you ever been the new guy? The new, the new kid at school, the new person at work. You know, last night I talked to a whole bunch, about five people out in the lobby, and they said, this is my first time here. And I was like, it's kind of scary, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, it really is scary to come in here. You're just scary people. And uh, there's just so many of you, you know? And I was like, I understand that. It's like, we don't bite mostly. And uh, Saul was the new guy, and he was kind of nervous. He was trying to make some changes in his life, trying to follow Jesus, trying to learn some new habits. I always live my life this way. I'm trying not to live that way anymore. I always treated people like this. I'm trying to treat people different. But he's having a really hard time changing his life. And on top of that, his old friends, they all hated him. And the people who should have been the most encouraging to him, that would be the followers of Jesus, they didn't trust him. They didn't want to help him. They made it really clear. We wish he didn't even go to our church. Ever been to that church, by the way? Right? And then here comes Barnabas. This guy has this great reputation. He steps up beside Saul and puts his arm around him and says, it's okay, he's with me. He's all right. I'll vouch for him. I've seen, I've seen the changes in his life. And, I, and I, I've talked to him. And I'm telling you, it's for real. So I, I'm, he's with me. And I'll stick, I'll stick beside him. And if you keep on reading this story, the other believers slowly begin to accept Saul into, the, in, kind of into their church. But the only reason is because Barnabas stuck up for him. And later, some people in Saul's life, because all his life, not everybody gets on his page. And all his life, he's trying to run out of town because people are trying to kill him because of his past. But Barnabas is the one who finds out about that and gets some people together and they sneak Saul out of, out of town safely. And you could argue, and you'd be right on this, that those Christians were hypocrites and they should have treated Saul better and not thrown his past in his face. And you're right. You're right. They shouldn't have done that to him. We should all be more like Jesus. How are you doing? Right? Right. We're, none of us are like that all the time. We all fall short of trying to be like Jesus. We know, we know that that's true, but we're not very good at it, which is why we all need a Barnabas to come alongside us and say, I'll vouch for him. I'll, I'll stick up for her. Isn't that what you need? 
in your life, right? I mean, isn't that what you had? Or in, don't you wish this, that, that's what you had had when you were trying to make some big changes in your life, especially at first? Somebody just come alongside of you and say, listen, I'll do this with you, the hard stuff. And around here, we just call it me too. Me too. In the Bible, they call it encouragement. So let me get, let me get the two points here and then we'll, we'll get into application. Number one, not everybody is going to like or believe the changes in your life. That's just true. Sorry, it's just true. And the other one is everybody needs a Barnabas. So application time. Here's what I want to do. I want to kind of divide the room into two halves, two groups of people, and you'll know who you are as soon as we get into this, all right? Um, the, the first group of people I want to talk to are we are the Sauls in the room. So we're the Sauls. And here's what I mean by that. We're the people here today. We've been trying to change our life. We've been trying to follow Jesus. We've been trying to be better men and women and dads and kids and whatever that is. We've been trying to change our life, but we're really frustrated. And here's what we're frustrated at. I'm frustrated at myself because those old habits and those old thoughts and those old behaviors that I thought I'd, I'd, I'd quit on, they keep coming back, trying to take over my life again. I keep on continuing to struggle with the same old mistakes. I mean, I love God. I believe in Jesus, the cross, all the Easter. I believe all that stuff. And I want God to change my life, but I'm about to give up because it's really hard. Any Saul's here? And on top of that, I've got a bunch of people in my life who keep on throwing my mistakes in my face. It feels like I make one mistake that looks anything like what I used to do. And it's like somebody's in my face going, see, you're no different. You haven't changed. And I'm starting to think they're right. You ever feel like that? You know, what's the use? I don't think I can change. And apparently nobody in my life thinks I'll ever be any different either. And I'm about ready to quit. Anybody? Sure. I understand that. But more importantly, Saul understands that. And here's how I know that. Every part of the Bible that he writes, you can find at least one paragraph in there where he talks about frustration and failure. A blown up his, his Christian life. You know, one, one time, all right, he's writing a letter, all right? And the reason he's writing a letter, I'm just going to be a spoiler for this whole series. Paul dies in prison. There's a happy ending, all right? So it's like, well, let's don't come back. All right, so, uh, so he, he, he dies in prison because of, of his faith. But he writes this letter to some people in this little town called Philippi. We call the letter Philippians, but it's a letter written to people who live in a town called Philippi. And they're about ready to quit. I don't know if he just senses it or he's heard some you know, stories about what's going on in that little town. And so he writes them a Me Too letter. And that's the book of Philippians. And let me kind of sum up and then we'll, I'll tell, we'll read some of it together. But he starts out by saying, you know, I used to live my life. I thought my life would be okay as long as I had enough money. I had a good family. I had education. And I was religious. And I did all that. Knocked it out of the park. Still felt empty inside. And my screwed up way of thinking really hurt a lot of people to the point that I can honestly say I think I'm the worst person ever. Then he keep on reading through Philippians and he says to his, to his readers, he says, but I, 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 want a, I want a better life. I want a different life. Don't you? And I know this. The life I'm found, finding in Jesus Christ, it's better. Which is why I want to spend my whole life, I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just know about him and read stuff about him and sit in rooms like this and hear about him. I mean, I want to know him. I want to be in a relationship with him. I want to live connected to Christ every day. I want to be described as Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. And I can't really tell where one starts and the other one stops. That's, that's what I want. And everything else in my life compared to that is nothing. Then Paul admits, I started following Jesus years ago and I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I wrote part of the Bible and I'm still screwing up my life some days. But I'm trying. And this is what he, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says this. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect. So he said, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that I've arrived and I've got following Jesus down. So I'm not saying that at all. But I press on. 
I press on to take hold of. And that word take hold of can literally be translated apprehended. So it's that bounty hunter term again, all right? I, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of or apprehended me. Press on is, is literally a bounty hunter term. The reason he uses that because that's what he used to do. I used to hunt down criminals. I used to hunt down Christians. I'm not doing that anymore. Now I'm hunting down life. I'm pursuing life and I'm going to take hold of it. What life? The life that Christ said he wanted for me when he took a hold of, of me and I'm not going to quit. And he goes on, he says this, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So he's not sitting here writing a letter going, I'm a perfect Christian. Now I've met Christians who think they are. And if you're sitting in here today going, I, I think I am. I think, I think I, I'm good. I'm good. All right. This church is lucky to have me because I'm a perfect Christian. Can I just say something to you? You're really not. Just ask anybody on your row. Am I perfect? No, you're not. not. So none of us are perfect. Paul's not perfect. Jesus is, but he's the only one, all right? So I don't consider myself yet to take a hold of it, but here it is. This is the takeaway for today. One thing I do. One thing I do. If I could say one thing that you would walk out of here today, you're about ready to quit on yourself or on somebody else, I'm telling you, one thing I do to keep going, it would be this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on. I hunt this thing. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And look at that, that forget, forgetting what's behind. That doesn't mean I forgot how to sin. You're never going to forget that. You're never going to wake up one day or go to bed at night going, you know, I tried to sin today. I couldn't think of one. I forgot. I forgot how to sin. You know, this is not, not true. And here's the other thing is you're not going to forget the sins you used to commit. I, I wish we could. It's never going to happen. You're never going to wake up one day going, I forget I used to be a liar. I, I forget that I used to punch her out. I forget that I used to steal. I forget I used to sleep at the football team. You're never going to forget that. See me going, uh, <laughs> don't look at the, just look straight ahead. All right, all right, all right. You're never going to forget that. God's not going to wash your brain out and say, you don't even remember that part of your life. I wish he would, but it's not going to happen. To forget something mean, doesn't mean I don't remember anymore. To forget something means I'm going to let go of it. I'm not carrying this around anymore. A lot of us are carrying it around. The opposite of forget is cultivate. Like a plant, I feed it, I water it. So if I'm going to forget something, it means this. I'm not going to feed and water my past anymore. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it shrivel up and die. Because it's not who I am anymore. Even though people throw it in my face. So I'm going to forget what's behind. But here's the other thing. is I'm going to strain towards what's ahead. And again, the idea is I'm not going to keep looking back. I'm not going to keep on bringing my past up here with me in case you forgot this is what I used to do. Jesus forgave you. You're the one that keeps bringing it up. You're not that man. You're not that woman anymore. And I'm going to reach ahead. I I can't change my past. Again, don't you wish you could? Don't you wish like that movie you had that magic, you know, remote control and you could hit rewind and go back? I'd like to do high school over and college and my 20s. (laughs) And a lot of my 30s, right? And, and actually yesterday. I wish I could do that, right? I mean, I wish I could go back and undo it, but I can't. I cannot change my past. I can have a different future. Well, what's that look like in real life? I'll give you, I'll give you an example, a story, right? Last weekend, I, uh, after church was over, I, I was sitting in this room with this young couple who wanted to talk to me, all right? And th- that week, they'd had a huge fight, all right? And as I'm listening to it, you know, he did something really stupid. And I, I told him that's kind of stupid, all right? And, and she was screaming at him and bringing up things in his past. And some of you are thinking, is that, is that me? <laughs> right, right? And, and, and he got really mad and he shoved her against a wall. And he grabbed his suitcase and, and walked out and left her there with two crying kids. As I'm listening to them tell their story, they're both trying to build a case for why they had to do that. 
You know, I, I had to do this. I had to say that. You know, he says stuff like this. I, I've always had anger issues and it's just the way I am. It's what my dad used to do to me. And when he pushed my buttons, I just go off. So when she pushes my buttons, I tell you, I just go off and I can't help it. And, and I just leave. It's just the way I am. It's what I do. And she kept interrupting him by saying stuff like that. It's just like you used to do. It's how much longer do I have to put up with this? And using phrases like you always and, and you never. And I listened to this as long as I could. And by the way, I started this whole little session with, hey, you guys, I, I need to tell you, I'm a horrible counselor. And I am. I am. People email me all the time. Jim, could I just have some time? No, you do not want me as your counselor. I, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. I'm, I'm good in front of 2,000. I suck in front of two. I do, just so you know that. And, and I'm not being modest. I'm really bad at it. And uh, you're going to see that in just a minute. All right? So, uh, so they're pouring out their hearts to me. And finally I said, shut up. Now listen, all right? I, <laughs> I said this. Hey, men don't touch their wives. Men don't physically grab or push their wives. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. That's what your dad used to do to you, and it screwed up your life, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And you're doing the same thing to your wife, and you're messing up your kids. And I said, you know what? You're bigger and stronger than her, and you can beat her up, and you'll win the fight. But you'll lose her, and you'll lose your family. By the way, you are not your dad. And you're not that man anymore. You used to be that guy. You're not that guy anymore. And you have two little kids at home tonight who have no idea if their dad is ever coming home. And no kid should ever have to ask themselves the question, I wonder if my dad will come home tonight. It's not fair. See, husbands go home every night. And dads don't walk out on their kids. And then I looked at him and I said, you need to get your butt back home. I didn't say butt. I said the other word, just so you know, all right? (laughs) You need to get home and you need to apologize to your wife and your kids. And then I looked at her and I said, and you're really mean. (laughs) I did. She is, all right? And... (laughs) I told you I'm not very good at this, all right? And here's what I meant by that. She's got a really, really mean mouth. You have an ability. You know just the right thing to say to just take him out at the knees. And you've got to knock it off. Because you're right. You're right. He screwed up in the past. So there you go. You win. You win. But you're going to lose him. And you both have to stop this. You have to make a decision. If you're willing to forgive one another for one another's past. And then stop bringing it up and move on. And you need to get in counseling and I'm not throwing stones at you. You know, Rob, my wife, Rob and I, we've been in counseling at least three times. So if I can go and I'm the pastor, don't think you're too good or any less screwed up than me. Yours just as. All right. So I said, again, that's horrible counseling, but that's what I said. And I, let me just throw this in because I'm already offending a bunch of you, but let me just tell you, this is for free. If you're wrestling through something in your life and it's landing really hard on the people in your life and you refuse to go to counseling because I don't need stuff like that, I think that makes you a really selfish person. And that's not in the Bible, but it should be. <laughs> that's my opinion. All right. So, uh, you know, but I'm sitting there with this couple, you know, and as much as this young couple needed to see a counselor, you know what they needed more? As much or more than counseling, you know what they needed? They needed a Barnabas. And they had no one. They had no one to talk to. They had no one to turn to, to lean on, to link arms with, to, to bounce ideas off that they, they could trust that what comes back their direction is, is for their good. They had no one to stand with them and fight for them, for their family, for their marriage. They needed an encourager. And they had no one in their lives who was willing to stand with them. They had a lot of people that were willing to yell at them. No one to stand with them. They were doing it alone. And they were doing, these kids were doing the best that they could. It just wasn't going very well. So let me talk to the second group of people today. We need some more Barnabases. 
Now you can be more specific, all right? We need some more Barnabases in this church. And here's what I mean by that. We open our arms really wide around here. Anybody can come here. You can, you can belong here long before you buy into anything or believe anything. You can come in here and work out your stuff with God, you know, whether you believe in God or not. We, we open really, really, our arms really, really wide here. Everybody's welcome here. And because of that, we have a lot of people that bring in a lot of stuff with them. Now, let me tell you, I don't need a lot of experts. So if you think you're an expert, that's not what I need. I, I don't even need a lot of counselors and therapists. You, uh, this, you, you never heard a pastor say this before, but I don't even need a lot of Bible teachers. You know what I need? I need some men and women who are not just running after Jesus themselves and what he says is true, but also who have crawled through the trenches of real life. Who have some scars in their life and some bruises in their life. And they're willing to use those, allow God to use those, to come alongside some other men and women. Some young dads who are about ready to walk out. Some some moms that don't know if they can do it anymore. Some high school and college students that say, I don't understand life. I need some other people to say, I'll stand with him. I'll, I'll vouch for her. I'll walk through this with them. I'll do this with you. That's what I needed last week with this, this young couple. Beyond, here's the name of a good counselor. I, here's what I wish I could have said. Here's another couple. They, they've been where you are. They, they, they understand. Hey, hey, here's another dad. He's got, he's got kids at home and he, did, he thinks he's a horrible dad too. And he's working through that. Here's another woman who's so depressed that she pulls the covers over her head and just prays for life to go away. Here's another couple. They've gone through this and they've survived. They understand. So here's my question. Could I give them your number and have them call you? Because if I could have done that last Saturday night, you know what? That would have been like giving a cup of water to a person that was dying of thirst in the desert. They would have sucked it up. Well, one, more, one more verse and I'm going to stop. The book of Hebrews is a book in the Bible that was written to Christians who are about ready to quit on their faith. There's some people that they followed Jesus. They thought their life would get better and easier and their life actually got harder. And they, they thought they'd been duped by the whole God thing. So they're going to quit Christianity. And the book of Hebrews is written to them. And this is what it says. Let us, talking to Christians, let us hold unswervingly. So let's don't deviate from this. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We say we believe this about God. For Jesus who promised is faithful. What did he promise? To give us grace and mercy to get through things. And let us consider. So let's think. Let us get creative. All right. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let's not give up meeting together. So this is how most of the world does it. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And isn't that true? You go through a hard time in your life and you know what the first reaction is? Close your door, pull the blinds and just try to deal with it yourself in isolation. And, and a lot of churches are really bad at this because you feel if, if you let your, kind of your crap be known at church, it's like, here they come. They'll be after me and they'll judge me, all right? Let's not be like that. Let's not be like that as some are in the habit of doing. But let us live life differently. Let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's my application, all right, for the Barnabases. Who is it that God's bringing to your mind right now? And you don't really have to pray about this because you've been thinking about them. Someone in your life that really needs some encouragement. They don't need advice. They don't need a lecture. They don't need a sermon. They don't need 20 Bible verses shoved down their throat. Who is it in your life that needs some encouragement? Is there somebody in your life that's about ready to quit? on a big part of their life because it's really, really hard. And my question is, what would it be, look like for you to kind of be a Barnabas in their life? To be an encourager? Is it a phone call? Is it a phone call that you just call up and say, uh, hey, listen, I, I don't really have anything to talk about. It's just, are you okay? Everything good? Right, let's just be honest. How many times have you called somebody or gotten a call and later kind of unpacked that and, and thought, 
I cannot believe you called at that moment. It happens all the time. Why? Because I think God's in that. So maybe it's a phone call. You could be a barnstorm like calling somebody. I don't like email because email doesn't really convey heart. You could encourage somebody, you know, a comment. We've got enough people in our life that tell us that we're doing it wrong, you know, that, that we're doing something stupid, that we look like this, that we're not very good at that. We have enough of those. How about somebody that comes along and maybe pats us on the back and goes, you're all right. That's a good job. I saw what you did over there. That's awesome. Showing up at something that's important to them. You know, we're always talking about baby steps around here. Not trying to change our lives all at once, but here's a baby step about being a Barnabas. Like, what, what about this? What if all of us just made a promise to ourselves right now? I am not going to bed tonight until I speak a word of encouragement into somebody's life. I'm not going to. I'm going to find somebody and tell them that I believe in them. I'm going to find somebody and tell them that I haven't given up on them. I want to tell somebody that I'm there for them, that I think they're going to be okay. I'm not going to bed until I tell at least one person. It may be the waitress at lunch. I don't know who it is. I'm not going to bed until I speak something positive into somebody's life. And I know I'm doing it out of my heart with Jesus. All, they know, all I know is they need some encouragement. And then what if Monday, the same thing? You string two days together. I'm not going to bed tomorrow night until I find one person between, you know, getting out of bed and going back to bed that I told them, I think, I think they're going to be all right. And then Tuesday, it's the same thing. You know, you know what I think would happen? Not that this is our agenda. And you don't even have to mention Jesus. Just, I, I think you're doing an awesome job. Here's what I, I think. I think that our attendance next week would just skyrocket. Not because you invited anybody to church. I'm not even telling you to do that. But because we live in an encouragement-starved world, and Jesus is really awesome, and a lot of Christians are not. And so anytime somebody bumps into a, a person that has Jesus in their heart and doesn't remind them you know, of a total downer, doesn't remind them of Eeyore, you know what I mean? You ever bumped into an Eeyore Christian? I know, I'm looking at a few. Anyway, all right, so, all right. People want to be around something positive like that. Don't you? That's why we do this thing. We push this all the time around community groups. Community groups. Jump in a group, you know, do life together, all right? You know, so was that a Bible study? I got to be honest with you. Most of our Bible studies are excuses to get together for something else. Because if you've ever been in one of our Bible studies, this is what always happens. They go through the Bible study, they close the Bible, and then this goes, "Um, can I talk to you about something? Doesn't have anything to do with that, but I just need to talk to you about life. That's just how it goes. We've hired two full-time people, our community pastors, Dan and Karen. Their whole job is to help you find some other people. And let me tell you, if you're sitting here going, hey, you know what? We've been through, we've been through crap, and we, we're willing to pour our lives into some other people. Call Dan or Karen over at church and say, we want to be Barnabas to some people. We've gone, I've gone through divorce. So if there's some woman out there thinking her life is over, I have gone through that. I know what that feels like. I have buried my husband or my kid. I know what that feels like. And if I, if I could speak into somebody else's life... That's Barnabas. You know, just by coming here today, you encourage somebody. Say, well, I, I, how? People are watching you. And this is going to sound kind of weird, but it's just true. I've gone to church a long time, and I, I sit out in the, stand out in the lobby. I see it all the time. There, hey, young dads in here, there's some other young dads that watch you carry all that baby crap in. You know, or not. And how you treated your wife. Hey, there's a bunch of other kids in this place that have been watching how you treat your parents. There's a whole bunch of people that are watching you. Even during the, 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 the singing time earlier, there's some guy in here looking over and you, you kind of remind him of him. Is it okay to do that? I think I work with that guy over there. I didn't know he was into this. People are watching you. You have no idea. I was a, I was a youth pastor for 20 years. I, in all my years of teaching middle school and high school students, I never tried to tell them how to be good parents. I really didn't want them to be parents at that time. All right? So... <laughs> 
but I lost count of the number of people. Because I drug, I drug my kids, Allison and Jordan, to all of our youth events, all right? I lost count of the number of guys who kind of came over in a corner and said, Hey, Jim, I want to be a dad just like you. Just because they watched how I treated my kids, how I treated my wife. People are watching you. You know, in two weeks, we have this thing called baptism coming up. We're bringing these big inflatable hot tubs up here, and people just get baptized in their clothes, and it's, and it's awesome. That may be the first public statement that you ever make. Baptism is a gift from God, kind of a marker in our life to say, yeah, I'm different. Water doesn't wash me, Jesus does, but I'm going public with this. If you've never been baptized, I would encourage you in two weeks to, to, to be baptized right here because there's somebody else. Just like Paul said, I hope this happens with my story. Somebody's going to watch your story unfold there and... Who knows? You may be the catalyst for them saying, I, I need to follow Jesus too. You know, if, if you're going through a hard time in your life and you feel like God's maybe saying something to you, pay attention to that. So, you know, and I love it when God speaks to me directly. And I, not, not in a weird way, but I just sense him, you know, and I read in the Bible. But I've got to be honest with you, I love Jesus. And, but sometimes I just need Jesus with some skin on. You know what I mean by that? I'll give you an example of that. A few weeks ago, it was the same day the big four-mile canyon fire was, all right? Um, Rob and I, we pulled out. We're going to go up to Longmont to a bookstore. And we pulled around, and the street faces directly west. And we looked, you know, west, and Boulder was on fire. And and we'd never seen that before. We'd never seen a forest fire before. So we drove to it. (laughs) That's not real. I don't recommend that. It's dangerous. But anyway, we drove there. It was like, wow, the whole world's on fire. And so uh, it was really smoky. So we pulled into Barnes & Noble, you know, up, up there on Pearl Street. And so we're, we're in that bookstore and I hate bookstores because I don't like to read. And, uh, and, but my wife loves it. And, uh, whatever you think that means, it's more. And, uh, so I'm in the bookstore and I'm sitting in the corner waiting this out and, uh, trying to hide in the corner. And this guy comes up to me from Flatirons and he says, Hey Jim, I'm like, Hey, and, and I love it when people come talk to me. So don't ever not do that. But he says, could I, could I talk to you for a second? I'm like, Oh, sure. In the back of my mind, I'm going, here it comes. All right. I'm just being honest with you. All right. And, uh, and I was, I was in a really low point, point. It was a Monday. And I thought that, that, the, that weekend, I just thought that was a horrible talk. I wasted all these people's time. Ugh, it was just horrible. And he said, um, this past weekend, what you said in church, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I'm like, serious? Because I thought it sucked. And, but, uh, you know, and uh, no, no, no. He said, he said I, I, it's exactly what I needed to hear. And I was like, well, th- thank you for telling me that. He says, why? I went, it doesn't matter. Thank you. You've got people in your life, and you look at them and go, on the outside, it looks like their whole life is together, and inside they're wrestling with a lot of stuff. Don't go to bed tonight until you speak some, some encouragement into somebody's life. Don't give up on anybody, and don't give up on yourself. All right? God, I love you so much. I, I love this church. I don't think we're the best church. That's not even our goal. We just want to be a church that reminds people of you. And every week I get to stand up here and look out and see people's faces. They have crawled, literally crawled into this place looking for some hope looking for some compassion, looking for maybe there's a chance, looking for a little energy to make it through the rest of the week, and then they'll crawl back in here next weekend. And God, you, there's plenty of hope in you. And there's forgiveness in you and mercy in you and strength in you. But I don't want to be one of those Christians that stands in the way of people finding you. And God, I just got to confess, a lot of Christians are like that. And I've probably been like that a lot of times in my life. And I want to be a person that points people towards Jesus, doesn't stand in the way of them. So forgive me for that. God, if there's anyone in this room that maybe the reason they were here today is just because they needed one word of encouragement to not give up, I pray they've heard that from you. But more than that, I pray that a lot of people get up out of this room and they go out and they just kind of go all over the city and all over the state and speak words of encouragement. Not because we're trying to get people to come to church, but because people's lives are... We'd be really surprised at how many people are ready to give up on important things in their life. And maybe one word of encouragement would make a difference. So we want to be those people. God, thanks for loving us and thanks for forgiving us. 
Because of that, we, we stand, we sing songs, we put our hands up in the air, we sing with all of our hearts because we know that you never, ever give up on us. You never let go. Because of that, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.